follow along, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and i got to kind of set this up. What I want to do is I want to recap the past two chapters for just a few moments before we dive into it. But the past two chapters in this series, Kingdom Culture, has really, um, this is one of the most famous sermons of all time. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus started out with a few disciples and literally thousands of people gathered on a hillside, probably in a cave to where he could project the sermon to thousands of people and ended up delivering this profound message about this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And he said some stuff that was completely contradictory to the, the Pharisees at the time. Like he said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart. For I tell you, whenever people persecute you, pray for them, love them. He also made some other very profound statements about ideas like murder. You know, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, you are guilty of murder. And so what Jesus was doing throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount is he was calling the standard for all believers higher to another level. He was bringing them to another level to be able to say, hey, you think that your, your holiness and your godliness is good, but really it's not. And I'm setting a new standard for the kingdom of God. And really it wasn't even setting a new standard. He was explaining the current standard. And so the past two chapters, and really the past three or four weeks in this series, we've been kind of focused on this big idea of do we have faith and do we have trust in God? And that's what Jesus talks about. Like the Lord's Prayer is really about faith and trust, like honoring God, but faith and trust in God. And then he went into two particular areas that are crippling our society right now, and not just here in America, but in the entire world. And he dealt with money, and he dealt with anxiety. And I think it's interesting that around this idea of faith and trust in God, he brings it back to money, and he brings it back to anxiety, because there are millions, if not billions of people across the globe right now who are terrified, petrified, because their trust is in money and their trust is in materialism. And whenever circumstances and materialism do not go the way that we think that it should, what happens? We get anxious. Anxiety starts to come in. Anxiety starts to, to creep into it. And then Jesus speaks into our value as Kevin talked about last week, he speaks about our value as children of God. And we're actually going to go back into that next week in Matthew chapter 7, but I don't want to get there. But this whole idea is, is he's saying, hey, being a follower of Jesus is not a plan A, plan B mindset. It's either you have faith in me and you trust in me and you give everything to me and you become my disciple or you don't. And a lot of times we treat Jesus or Christianity with this idea of like, I'm going to trust Jesus with X amount of stuff or with this particular area of my life. Meanwhile, we're stockpiling like it's Y2K, like I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, in case Jesus lets us down. There is no plan A, no plan B. Jesus has one plan, and it's Jesus. It's plan A, and he invites all of us to be followers of Jesus. 
This is what we see as kingdom economics. We have our world economics, right? We've got the stock market, and we've got the value of the coin, and we've got Bitcoin now, and we have Pi. If you don't know what Pi is, just ask Dan. He told me all about it. I don't even know if it's going to mean or be worth any money, but I've got 300 Pi coins right now. Is that a lot? No, he told me it's not a lot. I thought it was a lot. It's worth like six cents, okay? But hopefully one day... Um, but we have all this stuff that's out there. We have our world economics, and then there's kingdom economics. And here's what the world says. The world says, if you want money, you save and you hoard for yourself. Hence the show Hoarders. If, if you want um, more fame, then be ruthless and cut people trying to get up to the top. If you want more power, well, go into politics. If you want more, uh, whatever it may be, then do this. And it's all about me focused. It's all about singularly what can I get out of this. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you want more, give more. If you're struggling with your finances, learn to give more. Learn to trust me. I cannot stress this enough, man. And I know we've talked about it for the past couple of weeks. This is such a big area of anxiety for all of us. Man, when we learn to surrender our pocketbook and our checking account over to Jesus Christ, God does something so supernatural that I cannot explain it. I simply just can't explain it. And if you look at it from, um, from like looking at like bills that's got to be paid, it just doesn't make sense. But God is a God of the impossible. He is a God who can go into your situation and do something that you didn't think that he could do. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. When you want, you give. Another thing he says is if you want to live, like our world is all about FOMO, fear of missing out, live your life. This is why so many people are angry during the pandemic because their life has been taken away from them. What Jesus says, though, is if you want to live, die to yourself. Huh? Yeah, your wants, your desires, your ambitions, they need to become secondary to the will of God. Matthew 10, 39, those that live their life will lose it. Those that lose their life for my sake will gain it. That scripture changed my life, and God spoke to me in Winter Park, Colorado, whenever I was on a church ski trip trying to be spiritual by reading my Bible. And he said, Michael, I've got great plans for you, but I want you to kill all of your dreams, and I want you to follow me. I'm calling you into the ministry. And I said, I rebuke you in the name of crap. This is Jesus actually telling me this. If you want to live, die. Another thing he says is if you want peace, fully surrender. Fully surrender every area of your life. Really, what Jesus is inviting us to in this idea that we call Christianity is to take a step off the cliff. And the cliff could seem very, very, very deep. It's just like that Indiana Jones show. Some of you guys may have seen it. Some of you may be too young to even know who I'm talking about, and that's okay. But Indiana Jones, he walks right up, and he has to take that step of faith. I am not going to take a step of faith because I do not have faith that something's going to catch me underneath here. But he takes that step of faith, and it's the same thing in our walk with Jesus. Now, let me put it this way, a more Christianese way. Get out of the boat. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus and take a step out of the boat. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And it's scary. It, it's, um, it's fearful. 
But man, I've learned oftentimes whenever we are most comfortable, whenever we are most comfortable is usually right before God calls us to an area of our life that's going to mess things up, but God's going to do the biggest growth in our life. It's that sweet spot. And then pulling us to another sweet spot that we didn't even realize God has gifted us in. I think about Rich and Christine Sarnacki. They didn't know I was going to do this. But Rich and Christine Sarnacki, I remember Rich coming and talking to me about him opening up storied coffee. And it was just this vision and just this idea. And he had a lot of like, I'm really excited about this, but there is also an aspect of this could fail. Well, they were obedient to what God was calling them to do, and they just announced that they're opening up their second location. Someone give it up for Rich. He texted me, and he said, I'm sorry it wasn't City Church. I was like, it's all right. We'll forgive you. But no, seriously. And they've got great coffee, and they have a great product, and they love Jesus. And God is using their gifting and their passion to advance the kingdom of God, but also to be able to employ people and to make our society better and to create space for community, for people to gather around and to sip their little espressos and lattes and boba tea, which, by the way, I still have not tried, and to have good community. They took a step out of the boat into following what God was leading them towards. Now, maybe I'm making it sound more spiritual. He may not explain it to you that way, but I'm trying to take a story and make it spiritual, right? So thank you, Rich, for letting me tell your story without your permission. So Jesus, talking about the kingdom, is about to take a drastic turn in Matthew chapter 7. A drastic turn for us here today. And he's about to say something that is so misunderstood and so misinterpreted that politicians use it, people of other world religions use it, teachers use it, and I'm willing to bet you've probably used it. I know I have. Maybe you've said it to your spouse. Or maybe your kids have piped up and they've said it to you. But Jesus is about to shift the conversation I think it's very interesting what he does. But before I dive in there, I need to paint this picture. Because Jesus did not come to abolish the law, the Levitical law, 613 commandments. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And we see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. You can go back and listen to like week 4 of this series. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus literally said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what he's about to talk about is really looking at the law of Moses, looking at the Levitical law, and comparing our standards to the Levitical law, and then how we respond and how we treat other people in comparison to not our standard, but in comparison to God's standard. It's, it's like whenever I fell off a cliff and I had to go get a CAT scan. I don't know if you've ever had a CAT scan or an MRI. What does a CAT scan do? It shows you everything that's going on in your brain or wherever it is that you need a CAT scan. The same thing with an MRI. 
is what it is, what the law is. The law is not something bad, but the law is like an MRI and a CAT scan who exposes the areas in your heart, the areas in your soul that God ends up needing to deal with so that he can deal with them and you can deal with them to be able to find true freedom in your life. And so Jesus, getting ready, he just talks about fear, just talks about anxiety, just talks about money, just talks about fasting and prayer. And then he says this, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, like I said, this is one of the most over-misunderstood, if not the number one misunderstood verse in all of the New Testament, and I would venture out to say in all of the Scripture. Because we have politicians who say, don't you judge me. We have students who say, it's not your right to judge me. We have us in the room who have turned to our spouse whenever we do something stupid, and we turn to them and it's like, don't judge me, honey. Don't judge me. Like, what, you think you got it all together? How often have we said this? How often have we taken this idea of judgment and we've said, don't judge me. You have no right to judge me, right? We hear this in our world right now. You have no right to judge me. But that's not what Jesus is saying right here. He is saying, don't judge me. But there's two aspects of judgment that we have to be able to understand, especially with looking at the original Greek text and Aramaic text here. We, we, we have taken something so complicated and we've really boiled it down to very simple English. It's just like love. We say, Jesus loves you. Well, there's four different types of love in the, the, or I'm sorry, in the Greek language, and we've boiled it down to one. It's the same thing here. There are two types of judgment. The question is, is what judgment is Jesus actually talking about right here? The first thing, uh, first judgment is evaluation. This is a judgment that is placed on us to make us better. And, and, and think about it like this. It's whenever someone comes to you and they critique you critically so that you can be a better person. Let me give you some examples. An employer to an employee. If an employer came up to you and said, hey, man, I'm firing you, but never actually told you areas a lot for the past six months that you could improve then he was not doing his job. You want that employer to cast judgment on you so that you can be an embe- a better em- employee. A- another way to think about it right now is with husbands and wife. I love it whenever my wife critiques me. Sometimes it hurts. My wife has a way of whenever she says things, her words sting. Why? Because I love her and she is my wife. And I know that she sees all the flaws that you guys don't see. But my wife will speak things to me not to condemn me, but to call me up, to make me better. Another way of thinking about this is with a coach and a player on a team. Could you just imagine if coaches, if the players were like, Coach, you can't judge me? Well, what's the point of a coach? You see, when you get judged in this idea of critiquing or evaluation, it comes from a place of humility that the person who is casting this judgment on you wants you to be better. The same thing should be true in the church. When we cast judgment upon one another, it should not come from an ill will or an unpure motive, but from a place of humility bathed and covered in love to see the person go to the next level and rise to the next 
next level. See, some of us, though, we just don't like being told by other people that we have issues. We'll, we'll get to that. The second judgment is condemnation. Making someone look bad to make yourself look better. This is the judgment that Jesus is talking about. Do not condemn people lest you be condemned. This is an ill will. This is, um, this is like, hey, Jeremy, you're a horrible person, and I can't believe you did that, and look at the way you run, and look at the way you do frisbee golf, and look at the way you, and I'm just casting and picking on him and making fun of him. I'm not really doing that right now. I love Jeremy. But like, um, I'm throwing all of this judgment to make him feel bad and to make me feel elevated. Now, ultimately, that is prideful, and God opposes the pride. But can I just say that if when we and if we do this to other people, we are missing the point of the grace that Jesus Christ extended to us whenever he said, hey, look at you. He didn't sit there and say, you big screw up. Look at you, you big goofball. Or let me just just throw this out there, you big clown. We've heard that word a lot, right, lately? And so he isn't sitting there just throwing judgment on there. No, he said, you're broken, you're hurting, let me pick you up where you are, and let me make you whole, and all you have to do is sit there and receive. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, I don't want you to condemn other people. We're going to break this down a little bit more in just a second. Um, And here's the thing. If we seek condemnation towards other people, we miss the point of the gospel. Just bottom line, we miss it. But he doesn't stop there. He actually continues verses 3 and 4. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? And so Jesus equates this to um, a speck being in your brother's eye and a log in your eye. Have you ever had a speck in your eye, anyone? My son Judah, whenever he gets stuff in his eyes, I, I mean, you would think that the world is on fire. Like, it's like, ha! And he has this, he has this high pitch yell right now that the grace of God just needs to come upon me when he does that because I'm having to, like, like baby Jesus, you know, Lord of, you know, Mother Mary, whatever, you know, like, I'm joking. Don't judge me. But a speck in our own eye, I'm sorry, a speck in our neighbor's eye and a log in our own eye. And if we're not careful, what will happen is we're going to go to other people like this. Hey, man, how you doing? Bah! You jerk. Oh, you got something? Can can you even do anything if there's a two-by-four sticking out of your eye? Can you even befriend someone, help someone? No, could you imagine being a doctor and having to perform surgery with a two-by-four sticking out of your, your eye to remove a speck? What's Jesus saying right here? Saying, I want you to deal with what's going on in your heart before you go help other people. I want you to deal with the bitterness that you have inside of you before you go point out how someone else is bitter. 
And if we're not careful, what will happen, and I'm going to give you a very beautiful analogy that we all know about right now, and I'm not trying to get political, but if we're not careful, what will happen is you've got one person with the two-by-four and another person with the two-by-four, and they both think that they can solve all the problems in the world, and it turns into the blame game. Well, it's their fault. Well, no, it's this person's fault. Well, no, you're the one who did this. If you don't believe me, go on Twitter and watch the interaction between President Trump and Governor Cuomo over the past week. One person blaming New York governor, the New York governor then blaming the president, and no one accepts responsibility. And what Jesus is trying to say is if you want to be useful and helpful to other people, you need to accept responsibility, and you need to quit blaming people, and you need to deal with the issue, the two-by-four, that everybody else in the world sees before you go help other people. But our tendency is to just leave it in there. This is, this is what Jesus immediately says afterwards. Verse 5, he, he says, let me, sorry, I lost my place. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice, he wants us to help our brother, he wants us to help our sister, but he wants us to deal with what's going on in our heart before we project that onto other people. Maybe... The reason that the church has been so bad at dealing with the sin of this world is because the church has not dealt with the sin inside of herself first. And whenever people look at the church, they say, you bunch of hypocrites. You preach this, you post this, you say this, but look at how much dysfunction is inside of you. But we're just too blind to be able to see it because we've got a two-by-four sticking out of our eye instead of really allowing God to come in and remove that and to deal with that. And then other times we need help removing the speck in our eye. Look, I, I love you all, but if you've got a two-by-four in your life, I don't want you coming to give me marital counseling. And I'm just going to say this. If you've been married for a month, I don't want you giving me marriage counseling either. Like, once you've got a decade on your, like, I'm being serious. I see this. I'm going on a soapbox right now. I see this on social media. People that have been married a month or three months or even a year, and they're like, oh, marriage is this and marriage is that. I'm like, you know nothing about marriage. You are a baby right now, and you are still in love. Mwah. Yeah, go to Jerry and Terry for marital advice, who's been married for forever. 42 years. And look, if you're newlyweds in this place, like, God bless you, but life's going to happen. Life's going to happen. Whatever it is, make sure you remove the plank in your eye before you start dealing with your spouses. Let me just also say this about marriage, right, because this is something that I have learned um, you can't change your spouse. Only God can change your spouse, but you can change yourself to be able to serve your spouse more. Just throwing that out there. That was not in my notes at all. Thank you. But sometimes we do need help removing the speck out of our eye. What would it be like if I went to you to go remove a speck out of your eye with tweezers? Would you be freaking out? Like, I've got no doctorate in front of my name. I've never practiced medicine. I think that some of the doctors are crazy, but, I, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm sorry. 
But if it's like, I need help, I've got this speck, I need, I've got this splinter in my eye, or I've got dirt in my eye, and if, like, could you just imagine if I just went up to you and I was like, hey, Paloma, or hey, John, I see this thing, let me grab the tweezers, like, and I just held you down, what would happen? You'd be terrified, you'd be freaking out, you'd be screaming, you'd probably be cussing at me, you'd be trying to push me off. But if I went up to you with a tissue, and I said, here, here, open up, let me, and I took a tissue and I gently dabbed it in your eye to get the dirt out or to get that speck out. Which approach would you be more open to? This is what Jesus is saying. He's addressing the church right here. And he's saying, I don't want you to go out and I don't want you to condemn people. But I also want you to be able to deal with what's in your heart. And once you've dealt with what's in your heart, I want you to take the tissue of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, and I want you to go to your brother or your sister in community, and I want you to be able to help them remove it by gently patting it. One is condemnation, one is truth. One is filled with bitterness and anger and an impure motive. One is done with humility, respect, and love, covered and bathed in grace. Think about marriage. How often do we not extend grace to our spouse when that's the person who we love the most and we should be extending the most grace to? Or to an employer who's upset us, who we get bad, mad at because they give us a bad evaluation. Or to someone else who's offended us in this world. And, and here's what I want to say. As followers of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian here, this is why gospel-centered community is so incredibly important. Because we need to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who are going to edify us, who are going to lift us up, who are going to hold us accountable. And when we are dealing with junk in our life, they call us to a higher standard, not to condemn us, but to see us reach our full potential. And this is what Jesus is saying. And then he, then he says something completely out of left field. He says this in verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And so if you want to title today's message, that was my introduction. Today's message is a dog, a pig, and a pearl. And here you see Jesus gives this analogy don't give this pearl to dogs. Don't, don't give this pearl to pigs. So we have to ask ourselves, what's he talking about here? Because he's using three object lessons to kind of prove a point. Let me just break this down for you. A dog, a dog we see in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2, in 2 Peter 2, 22, a dog is referring to someone who hears the truth and keeps returning back to their own sin. Scripture even says that a dog, or that when we sin and we keep going back to sin, we are like a dog who goes back to their vomit and ends up eating their vomit. We know the truth, we've heard the truth, we know we're sinning, and we just don't care. And then a pig, which we also see in Revelation 22 and in 2 Peter chapter 2, is someone who takes the truth and alters the truth. We know this in America as the prosperity gospel. Give a thousand dollars and you're going to get a million. 
Ho! Meanwhile, the preacher's flying off in his $64 million private jet because he ended up stealing his money from you instead of using it to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or we also see this whenever people add mysticism or people add um, extra biblical things to Jesus Christ, like it's Jesus plus something, and then we try to come up with, like, just use all these different ways to be able to meditate and get closer to God and grow with Jesus and have supernatural power in Jesus. It's like it's me plus nothing equals everything. And then you see the pearl. And so here we see a dog is someone who knows the truth but keeps going and sinning and disregards it. A pig is someone who has heard the truth and alters the truth. So what's the pearl? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, this is what it says about the pearl. In verses 45 and 46, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So here we see the pearl is the kingdom of heaven. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. But he continues on, Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think that that's beautiful. I think that that's beautiful because here we see Jesus painting this picture of the gospel is so precious and so valuable that we should be willing to give up everything to see the kingdom of God advanced. Which brings me back to the question I started out with. Do you trust him and do you have faith in who Jesus says he actually is? Now look, I want to take this idea of judgment for just a moment. I want to be able to address this because we are all carrying a pearl if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. And we all have a responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ to be able to treat people with love and grace, but also know when not to cast our pearl before people who are going to spit on it and trample upon it. But at the same time, when do we get in those moments where we do show people this pearl? Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. First and foremost, I want to talk about believers, people that call themselves Christians, and we've kind of already hit on this. But we, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are called into community. And whenever people critique us and evaluate us, we should welcome it. We should thank them for it. You, you see this in John. You see this in John where, where Jesus talks about, like, we should judge, and we should judge righteously. Again, we should judge the church. We should uh, talk about this in the context of other believers. Meaning, if Kevin comes to me and says, hey, I'm really worried about this area in your life, I shouldn't look at Kevin and rebuke Kevin. I should say, okay, thank you. Take that, pray about it, search my heart, and allow God to use what Kevin said with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, to lead to repentance, so that I can deal with that area of my heart and of my life. And so as a Christian, I want to challenge you, welcome feedback. Welcome evaluation. But then the second area is non-believers. What do we do with non-believers? 
Let me make this explicitly clear. And you can quote me 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. It is not your place to judge non-believers. They don't have a lifestyle that you like? Keep your mouth shut. Love them. They say things that you don't appreciate? Keep your mouth shut and love them. And I'll get to this in just a second, okay? They act a different way. They're involved in different things. It is not your responsibility or my responsibility to pass judgment on them. It is my responsibility to be bold with the gospel and to do it with grace and love and truth and not to come at them from a place of condemnation, but from a place of love and truth and grace and mercy. Might I remind you, Hosea chapter 6, when Jesus ends up quoting it later on, I desire mercy over sacrifice. Jesus is looking for people who can take this pearl that we call the gospel and present it to the world with mercy and with grace, but in a truthful and in a loving way. Look, you can tell me all the, the, the facts and you can tell me all the truth and you can be completely wrong because your motive is to win an argument instead of entering into a dialogue, into a conversation to build a relationship. It is not our place. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul addresses this, and he says, it's not our place to judge those outside the church. But those inside the church, you better be living and pursuing holiness and righteousness and justice so that you can be a light to this world, so that you can be a light and a lampstand, as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. The reason that the church is looked at so negatively is because we've got a bunch of puffed up religious Christians who are only focused on being right instead of loving the world who desperately needs Jesus. I, I'm going to steal this from Jason Cooper. Jason Cooper is the pastor over at Redemption Church over in um, the town next to us, Schenectady. Schenectady. That Schenectady. But Jason said this last week, and I loved it. When you want to post on social media, pause. Especially right now. Do you know how many times I've written stuff out and I've gone back and I've deleted it? Because I'm like, my heart is not good, but man, they are wrong. Just keep your mouth shut. Another thing is when you want to speak, stop. The world doesn't need a bunch of Christians who are trying to prove a point. The world needs a bunch of Christians who are going to love the hell out of them to the point to where they are willing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to repent of their sins, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to get into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, should we stand up for our morals? Yes. Should we stand up for our values? Absolutely. Should we pursue righteousness in a political realm? Absolutely. I'm totally okay with that. I'm not denouncing that at all. But to sit here and say that we're going to pass judgment on somebody else who does not have the same moralistic standard as us is wrong. It's not our place. That's God's place. And I know some of you guys, y'all might disagree with me, and that's okay. I just want to challenge you. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Remember, Jesus was called a drunkard and a sinner because of who he hung out with. 
But it was through his love and through his grace that the prostitute repented and turned to Jesus. It was through his love and through his grace that Matthew, the tax collector, repented and started following Jesus. It was through his love and through his grace that the thief on the cross said, Remember me today in paradise. Notice the only people Jesus went after and attacked was the church, the Pharisees. Come on, let's not be Pharisees. I'm out of time, but I just want to read this last passage of Scripture. Um, Lori, you can come out, or whoever is playing, y'all can come out. Thank you, Marissa. Um, Side note, it is Marissa's birthday today, and so... um, I totally had my place marked, and now, hold on, I know where it is. There we go. All right, all right. Titus chapter 3. This is Paul's address to Titus, who is a young leader pastoring a church, and this is what he says. Remind them, the church, remind them, so just let this be a letter to you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one. Think about that. To speak evil of no one, including on social media. Look, some of us need to repent. I'll be the first to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, which just simply means to avoid fighting. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards the people that you like. No. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards, say it with me, all people. All people. Including Governor Cuomo. Including President Trump. Including Joe Biden. And I can go on and on and on and on and on about this. Here's here's what I want to close with. Let me pray. How are you taking this thing called the gospel, this pearl, and showing other people? Are we coming from a place of condemnation, which Jesus says, if you condemn people, you will be condemned? Are you coming from a place of grace, love, and humility to serve the world so that they may see your light and turn their hearts to our Heavenly Father in a place of repentance. Will you stand with me? Maybe for some of you guys here, you've never crossed that line of repentance to Jesus. Maybe someone who's watching on YouTube or our church online platform, you've never said yes to Jesus. And maybe you felt condemned. I'm here to tell you that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He sees right where you are. He knows every broken place in your heart. He knows every sin that you struggle with or addiction or thing that you battle. And he loves you right where you are. And all he asks is that you believe. Now, there's a whole lot that is attached to that that comes later on. But salvation, freedom, eternity is found from a place 
saying yes to Jesus. And so if that's you, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you are doing that for the first time online, I want to invite you to citychurchalbany.com. At the bottom of the webpage, there's an online connect card, and you just say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And if you are here today, I want to invite you to our host table, uh, and we want to give you a book called The Crosswork that talks about what salvation is, and we'd love for you to fill out a connect card, and we want to be praying with you and championing you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're going to go back into this song as we close out. Our prayer team is going to come forward. And if you need prayer for anything, we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. We want to pray with you. And for the rest of us, I want to just challenge you to allow Jesus to examine your heart. Maybe you need to forgive people. Maybe you need to repent for your judgment that you've placed on the world. But let this be that space. Father, I just thank you for an opportunity to be able to worship you. God, I thank you for an opportunity to be a part of your church. And God, I just ask that right now your Holy Spirit speak, minister to our hearts. Let it be that there is no one, no one but you in front of us. In Jesus' name.